The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Today is a special one on the game because coming up at 5.40, I'm not going anywhere. I'm actually going to stick around for that segment because it is the 300th number one song of the day. And I put it out there on Twitter. Milestone time. I I was like, all right, you guys pick the decade and the folks pick the 90s. And there was one 90s song I have been keeping around, haven't used yet, because I wanted to use it for a special occasion. Okay. Today's that special occasion, because I'm not quite sure we'll make it to 400. There's just not... We have peaked, I think, at 400, because there's just not that many songs I like. Sure. But we can get pretty close to it. Welcome into the game. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, and Big Steve is across the glass. We do have a special guest in studio today. That is... Derek Young from K-State Online, who arrived here in Manhattan a few hours ago, and he's in town for the K-State Baylor game. D.Y., it's been quite a long time. I asked you I asked you, in kind of a silly question. I was like, have we had you in here before? And you said yes, but it's been a long time. Yeah, plenty of times, but it's been so long that you probably forget. It was before COVID-19. I, I was going to say, welcome to the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> well, and before you, we had, of course, your, your former boss, I suppose, the one that was in charge of K-State Online. So that's why I kind of questioned. I was like, had we had you in here a few times or not? But uh as my memory comes back, I do remember you coming in here, D.Y. Let's get a practice question in here. Today is uh, National Pizza Day. So what is everybody's favorite pizza toppings? What do you go with, D.Y.? you got to have pepperoni. For me, it's it's hard to call it pizza without pepperoni. That's just how I am. But I, I always have to have jalapenos and onions, too. Thank, thank you for reminding me. I'm ordering supper tonight. Um, what are you talking about? You're going to the game. Uh, that was the initial plan. Things have oh, come you're up. not going no, I'm not going to go. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, no. That was the initial plan. Something else says. I was going to say, get there early enough, up. just get yeah. the pregame meal. Right. No, I'm with you. Um, What's that? What do you think it'll be, the pregame meal? Uh, actually, I could look it up <laughs> because I get an email before every game just as a reminder. Someone's important. That tells me, hey, you got a game coming up. You're supposed to work. No, it lets me PA know. Who, announcer who, gets all yeah. the perks. Who they let me know who my my spotter is and uh, shout out to Brian Cordell who puts that all together. Mm-hmm. And Sher- Sherry, who's a fantastic at her job, she's a coach at Riley County. Um, she will be my spotter tonight for those that were wondering. I have to look up this email. Why I'm looking, D- uh, Big Steve. What are your toppings? All right, this one might sound a little weird. Pepperoni has yeah. to be on it, just like Derek said, but also black olives. Pepperoni and black olives any day of the week. Not a not two things I won't put on it. One of them is black olives. The other everyone likes banana oh. pepper. Not a big okay. banana pepper guy. I, I can I can see the banana peppers, but for the black olives, there's the door, man. <laughs> Just <laughs> I, I miss the days of doing uh, Italian sausage and mushroom from Pizza Shuttle. Mushrooms are a good one. Yeah, I hate mushrooms. And I hate black olives. Those are probably the two things I hate the most, other than like fresh <laughs> tomatoes. I hate fresh tomatoes, but if you grind it up with some spice and turn it into salsa, I'm all game. Which, by the way, I don't do the marinara sauce or the tomato sauce on my pizza. I go uh, Alfredo sauce instead. He he gets it on the side. Anyway, oh, no, no, it's I, not I, on the I, side. I'm, I'm it is on the pizza yeah. under the cheese, and I'll do any meat. But I am anti pineapple. Because I just don't like warm pineapple. And 
I'll, I would do jalapeno, mm-hmm. but other than that, I'm not a veggie guy on sure. pizza either. Yeah, yeah, no, no go on the veggies. Just period for me as it is. But uh, but definitely, I'm you know they back the old school pizza shuttle was Italian sausage and, and mushroom. Back when I was in school, that was a solid one. I tend to favor Italian sausage. Tend to go beef just as a general in my case. But your idea of doing Alfredo is a good call. Bockers is the pregame meal tonight. They're a catering ooh, company here in ooh. town, and they usually do a pretty solid job. They do a job. great job. Well, we do have a game tonight, and that's K-State hosting number 10, Baylor. That's just actually kind of where I wanted to jump in. We've done a lot of recapping the last couple of days of what we saw from the Cats last couple of games. They've put together two wins in a row, and hey, look at it this way. They've won four of the last seven in Big 12 play. And, uh, well, one of those losses, of course, was to Ole Miss, so they're 4-2 and two mm-hmm. in their last six Big 12 games, if you want to put a smiley face on a 12-10 and 10 season. Uh, but, D.Y., we'll start with you and this this kind of Baylor preview. If you go to kcnline.com, you'll get a fantastic breakdown of tonight's matchup. And, of course, Derek was a part of that breakdown. But I suppose if you start with Baylor, you think L.J. Cryer. Is he available tonight? He's a huge question Game-time mark. Game-time decision. Game-time yeah. decision. He's a question mark. Adam Flagler still might not be 100%. I think he'll play, but he uh, – he was questionable for the Kansas game where they got smoked this past weekend by the Jayhawks, and he did play. He was their leading scorer, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's 100% either yet. It's been a while since the Bears have been at full strength. They have had a lot of struggles this year between coronavirus and just general injuries trying to keep everybody Ken- healthy. Akinjo's missed a few games, mm-hmm. too. So yeah. They've probably been the most battered team in the Big 12 from start to finish because uh, I don't know when the last time they've been at full strength, but to their credit, still second place in the Big 12 or third. third they, they're tied for second, second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. right now, and they're a game behind Kansas. So Baylor, a big fan of Texas on uh, Monday night, is Texas knocked off the Jayhawks to keep Baylor within a game. Uh, did, I don't know if you guys discussed it, but Texas, of course, stormed the court after <laughs> defeating the Jayhawks. And one of the students bumped into Remy Martin, and he's now injured and may, not, may miss a game. I didn't see it was because of the court storming. I, I, I think that's what the Bill Self said. He got bumped. But when, he, he's been banged up for weeks. Yeah. So I, I just thought he had re-aggravated something. It's Chicken a, winged him? Yeah, well, he was. He was <laughs> I, Bill Self announced that he got bumped into oh. when the court got stormed. Maybe it re-aggravated, whatever it was. But so he might miss more time. I, I'm just thinking K-State history storming the court against the Jayhawks and chicken-winging a player. And, yeah. Which actually kind of surprised me. Nobody's taken more of a cheap shot at, at Kansas other than maybe, well, I wouldn't call it a cheap, uh, cheap shot. Barry Brown dunking at the end of the game in 2019, but that was in revenge. Um, the L.J. Cryer situation, though, is interesting. He's missed uh, three games because of a foot injury, but he is their leading scorer, and he's an insane when he does shoot it, he's an insane three-point shooter. He's one of the best in the country when it comes to shooting percentage from three-point range. But without giving too much away from Mitch Palm, that is later on in the show, it's a big part of the Mitch Palm breakdown. But over the last eight games, they haven't been consistent. They're 4-4 four and four in the last eight games as Baylor. Uh, Jeremy Sohan, am I saying that right? Sohan? Yep. Sochan, Sohan. Sohan. Uh, so he has been dealing with a left ankle issue. James Akinjo was a tailbone. Right. You have Flagler, who has been dealing with a bruised knee, but I think he's fine-ish Flying, now. Cryer yeah. um, dealing with the foot. Um, that's 
what they've been dealing with the last month. And so, like, when one guy's missing, it kind of throws them for a loop a little bit, right? They're not as strong, let's say, defensively, and they're trying to make up for the missing that one guy. So they just haven't been consistent the last eight games. But if LJ Cryer's back, that means they're going to be pretty much full strength as far as I understand when it comes to personnel. So I think if K-State does have a chance, you definitely don't want LJ Cryer in there. But also keep in mind, K-State will also be down a player in Selton Miguel, but there's a big difference between Selton Miguel and LJ Cryer, especially when it comes to points. But also, (laughs) I I, I mentioned um, uh, Baylor in, in, in defense. I mean, over these last eight games, they've become a different team defensively. That's where they're lacking when they're missing a guy or two because they're giving up way more offensively from the other team than when they were full strength and before they lost a game when they were number one in the last team to go undefeated. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the disruption you know, with players in and out, I think it's really hurt the cohesion and chemistry of the team. And usually when you have cohesion and chemistry issues, the defense is where that impacts the most because it's team defense. You kind of got to be connected, have, you know, kind of that unspoken word and you know what that other guy's going to do if you're, you're switching or not and stuff of that nature. So I think cohesion probably means more on the defensive end than the offensive end. So that's why I think that side of the floor is probably, you know, has suffered the most. And, you know, Baylor's defense has probably been the most underrated component of their run the last two or three years. Everyone, you know, you think about the guard play, Davion Mitchell, um, uh, Jared Butler, you know, all those guards and the way they shot it. They're they're really getting similar production from the guards from an offensive standpoint where they're the most different than they've been from this year to the past couple of years when they're defending national champions is the defensive side of the ball. One of the things that, that does stand out is that as you get guys that are inconsistently in the lineup, the more and more that you struggle to keep everybody healthy, you're right about that connection that, you know, you lose not only the game time, but you lose the practice time that you've been utilizing and guys become so reliant on someone else in a specific spot that it it really does play a major part. But I, it, what really stands out to me about that fact is that you know they've also run into a part of the schedule where they've run into the teams that can make them look the worst in terms of their defense kansas last weekend being prime example of that with we've we talked about what the jayhawks are able to do offensively this year while they may not play great defense offensively they can do a lot of things, and and it showed in that game on Saturday. So I I, I would argue that maybe K-State is actually not playing the best defense right now, even Mm -hmm. though they've won a couple of games. I think they got a huge break against TCU when the Horned Frogs missed their last 11 threes they attempted in the game. Yeah, I was going to say, and quietly, Kansas State's one of the best shooting teams in the Big 12. That's usually not a component. Especially from three. Yeah, it's usually not a component of Bruce Weber teams, especially in Manhattan. So I think... If you want to look at it that way, the Baylor's defense suffering on, you know, being that that part of the game, their aspect of the Bears suffering the most. I mean, you, it, they won't look that way in the raw numbers just because Kansas State doesn't play a hurried up pace. They are playing quicker this year than they have in other years, but they are shooting much better than what, even when Barry Brown and Kamal Stokes, Kamal Stokes <laughs> and Dean Wade, you know, winning the Big 12, I don't think that team was shooting as well as this one. No. 
and of course, you know, Nigel Pack is a huge part of that. But I'll bring up this as well. Uh, Mike McGurl, he, he's been in my mind lately because it seems like he is a difference maker in a way. He's coming off the bench, but what I mean by that is... Starting lately. Yeah, he's been starting because no Selton Miguel. Right. But the couple of wins off the bench when he played against Texas and Texas Tech, yeah. and he comes back from COVID protocol, well, he was pretty big in those couple of games because he he hit a couple of threes against Texas Tech, and against Texas, he was, uh, well, he wasn't so much of a factor. He scored two points, but... Ten rebounds, right? But he had ten rebounds against Oklahoma State. Okay. He had 13 points against TCU. Either when he's grabbing a ton of rebounds or he's hitting threes. When he's like scoring in double figures, it's a totally different like K State, that's like it's when they have their best chance to win is when Mike McGurl is stepping up, hitting shots and making plays. He's kind of a difference maker. Yeah, you look at some of their best wins as when he's played his best basketball. You mentioned Texas Tech, you mentioned TCU, he had the rebounds against Oklahoma State. For some reason I was thinking he played better against Texas, maybe not in that one, because I was going to put everything together. I was like, he's just crushing the teams in the Big 12 that are from Texas, so maybe that continues tonight. Well, I, I looked at the wrong Texas game. He had two points at home. On the road, he had 13 he points. So look at that difference. Okay, so he's crushing the Texas teams in the Big 12. <laughs> yeah. So, hey. So, come on, Mike. Texas You're a killer. big, big factor tonight when you uh, take on another Texas team in the Baylor Bears. D.Y., Troy, Big Steve, let's take a timeout. When we come back, I do want to ask D.Y. about, I mean, does he think right now Nigel Pank is a first-team, all-Big 12 type of player, but we'll also dive into some football recruiting when we come back on the game. Back on the game, I'm Mitch Fortner with Troy Coverdale. Derek Young from KCN Online is our special guest in studio, and Big Steve is our studio engineer for the show. And uh, D.Y. brought this to our attention during the break as right before the show started, Joe Lenardi has revealed his next bracketology report, and that was, again, out just at the top of the hour, and the Cats are back on the officially back on the bubble, according to Joe Lenardi. <laughs> as the very, very last team in the next four out. So they're the very, very, very last team that shows up in the bubble, I suppose, unless you count the next, which would be like Virginia Tech, Virginia, but those teams. But K-State has, with a couple of wins in Big 12 play, put themselves, according to Joe Lenardi, again, nothing official here, but back in the conversation of an NCAA tournament spot, the Baylor win would go crazy far, but it's like the opposite of Ole Miss, right? Mm -hmm. If you get the win against Baylor... It, it it's extremely good for you, even though you still have a lot of work to do. The loss doesn't exactly kill you. It's the opposite for Ole Miss. You lose that game, that really hurts you. But if the win, you know, it's you know. What was it whatever. you said yesterday that the uh, net schedule ranking was at? The net uh, K State's fifty third, I believe. Okay, so yeah, makes sense bubble wise that that would that that would fit. I mean, there's been teams in the net that have been 41st mm-hmm. and not gotten into the tournament. I mean, Wake Forest isn't exactly – I mean, they're a top 50 team, and the, the bracketology folks don't exactly like Wake Forest for some reason. Quad one and quad two wins will probably play a large role as well, and the good news for Kansas State is every game the rest of the way is a good game against one of those teams. Right. 
Yeah. Saturday against Iowa State is the one that intrigues me the most right now, beyond tonight. Yep. And and that's because, A, we've not seen the Cyclones, and B, I've essentially gone to calling them the paper tiger of the conference, given the start they got out to, and it's taken them this long to fall out of the rankings, but they really have had their issues and don't look like the same team that they were in December. I think that's fair because they got smoked by West Virginia last night and the Mountaineers were, yeah. on, a, were on a seven-game losing streak mm-hmm. entering that game. So the, the the thing is for Kansas State, they probably need to win four or five more regular season games. That means against Big 12 opponents out of the remaining eight. Two of them are Iowa State. Two of them are Iowa State. And it also means – and four of them are at home. It means you need to get one on the road. Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to win in Lawrence, you'd have to think, and you're not going to win in Lubbock. So the road games at Iowa State and Oklahoma State are pretty vital, and one of those is this Saturday in Ames. Kellis put the, the when we had him on yesterday, the magic number, like as we're treating yeah. it as like Major League Baseball playoff opportunity. Uh, the magic number would be like, he said 17. I, I'm not exactly comfortable with 17. Like if I was counting also, like Big 12 tournament, if you could pick up a win there or two, if you could get to 19 wins somehow, I think that's where I would feel comfortable. Yeah, 17 was what he was mentioning yesterday, and that that's an intriguing number to me. That kind of feels like low, but it's but still yet, actually possible, which is crazy to me. Right. By the way, you mentioned Big 12, uh, or you mentioned Texas and storming the court. Big 12 uh, reprimanded and got him for 25k. Well, I wonder how much Arkansas is going to get now. For uh, they got a good five twenty-five, five hundred twenty-five thousand. Yeah, the SEC they just put those into a big pot at the end of the year too, probably. And I don't know, but I, I guess what I think is if Kansas State goes four and four, that gets you to seventeen wins. I think that leaves you with still work left to do in Kansas City. I think five and three. Not to say you want to lose that first game in Kansas City, but I think that kind of erases your margin or adds to your margin for error a little bit, which is already kind of eroded because of a lot of should-be wins that they coughed away. Well, and I suppose good for Oklahoma State and TCU also starting to win a little bit now. And uh, they're not dead last in the Big 12, and K-State gets a win over TCU at the right time, I suppose. And another game against Oklahoma State coming up in Stillwater maybe might be catching the Cowboys also at a, at a right time if they're in the top 60. Let me correct that number. By the way, Two hundred fifty grand for Arkansas for okay. last night, but still, that's a sizable chunk. By the way, I also made a mistake. K-State 63rd in the okay. net, not 53rd, but who knows? Maybe they can make a big jump if they win tonight. With Derek Young from KCN Online in studio. Did want to get your thoughts on Nigel Pack. He's killing it lately. He's maybe, you could argue, played his best three games in the last three games. But would you – this has been a big topic this week. Wyatt Thompson actually asked Bruce Weber about how he his style of voting and who gets the votes is usually the best players on the teams that's winning. I suppose K-State's won the last couple of games, but do you think Nigel Pack is first-team All-Big 12 right now? Yeah, I think just the toward pace that he's on right now, the way he's shooting, the way that he's scoring. He's either number two or number three in scoring in the Big 12 at this point. I think O.J. O.J. Baji is still number one, if I if I can remember correctly. Yeah. I think there's three locks. I think Baji from KU obviously is a lock. I think Isaiah Brockington at yeah. Iowa State is a lock. And I think Bryson Williams at Texas Tech. I think those three are the locks. And I think Nigel Pack is in that next batch. But he might be at the top of that batch now with the way that he's played the last two or three weeks. I think you really have to ignore his numbers not to put him on the first team. Yep. I totally agree with everything you just said there, D.Y. At... D Young Rivals on Twitter and uh, check out kstonline.com. I just renewed 
There you go. My uh, my membership get all get all the K State content you can handle, and then some. That's and, what I love about it. And it probably helps Nigel Pack now that I think about it that those Baylor guards have been banged up because that's probably his competition. Well, what happened last time when they played in in Waco? I mean, they were that was uh, objective number one. Try to take. Uh, Nigel Pack out of the game. He still finished with 12, 13 points. That and, you know, welcome to the recency bias. With guys out, it makes his game look good. I do want to jump into a couple of questions about K-State football and when it comes to recruiting. There was a question I didn't get to ask you Mm -hmm. the last time we had you on. We were just coming up on time, but um, we hadn't talked about running back lately, and that's clearly, you know, still a big one when it comes to who's going to back up Deuce Vaughn, and you've had three running backs jumping into the transfer portal since the end of the season. So um, I, I know there's a – for 2022, I know like there's a kid of Olathe that might still be on their list. But, you know, I guess where is recruiting when it comes to running back right now? Probably a wait-and-see mode. Um, they, they chased the Tampa kid that they lost to Duke there at the end of the 2022 cycle just before signing day. And, I mean, at this point, maybe you find a high schooler still late that that's not picked up by anyone, but that's probably rolling the dice or uh, a little less likely at this point. So any running back added between now and and what we'll say fall camp, I imagine it's going to be a transfer. And it'll be hard to reel in a transfer at this point. Um, Just, you know, Chris Kleiman said it, Deuce Vaughn's going to be the number one guy. You're not going, you're not even going to be told by Kansas State, hey, you got a chance, you know, for coming here and if you show what you're made of, you can start. No, that's not the case. You, you come in here and do that and you're, you're still going to be number two. But I think they can add a transfer and they probably need to still. And uh, it'll happen after spring ball because we'll see another wave of players hit the transfer portal after spring ball when they realize where they're at in the pecking order at their own school. Oh, goody. <laughs> Nobody wants to play behind Deuce Vaughn, and I get it. You know, he's an All-American. Who would want to play behind an All-American, especially with, you know, everybody thinks they're All-Americans, don't they? Right. Yeah. That may be the flaws that everybody thinks they're All-Americans. Now, Camden Beebe became the first commit for 2023. There's been a lot of discussion about Joe Odding, I've noticed lately. Mm. Um, he was an, a guard out of uh, out of Topeka High. Got to see him Hayden play Catholic. football. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry, Hayden. I'm sorry. Yep. You're right. And saw him, uh, didn't get to see him play in person this year, but I have seen him play before. Uh, yeah, pretty good. He, he's not too bad. Um, and I, I, he's also playing basketball. So uh, is, is, he, uh, is he next? For 2023? Could be. I think he's going to give it some time throughout the spring a little bit. But, you know, you have Kansas State, um, probably the leader in the clubhouse at this point. We kind of reported on that at, at length. And I would expect that despite some interest from, you know, Nebraska, Kansas, and other other teams. Uh, watch out for Iowa if they get involved at some point. But I, I do like the Wildcats for him. I'm more comfortable saying who's the leader, which is Kansas State, than when. When is the hardest part to pick to to narrow down when it comes to recruiting and reporting. But I like I like their chances as it stands now. I don't think it'll go into the summer, but it could still be a few more months. We'll we'll see. And and the same can probably be said for the tight end out of Capen um, in Wichita, Willie Ncio. Derek Young is with us in studio. I, I want to bring up one final question. Uh, are you by def- – well, I know you're an Ohio kid, but you're not like a Browns fan, right? No. You're, you're a Green Bay fan. My dad was so a Browns fan. It, it doesn't kill you at all to know that the Cincinnati Bengals are in the Super Bowl? No, it, it doesn't. 
kill me at all. And I'll probably have a passing interest in them winning. I think the Rams are going to win. But just from being Ohio, and Joe Burrow's from Ohio too, grew up in Athens, Ohio, that I'll probably passively be rooting for the Bengals. But the interesting thing, I grew up in Ohio all my life, and I probably know 100 Browns fans and two Bengals fans. So they're they're far from the majority, even in their own state. That's that's the Brown state, but good for the Bengals anyway. Interesting, though. Where did the Rams begin? They were the Cleveland Rams. They were. Before they ever moved to L.A. And then St. Louis. I, you know. <laughs> and then I, back to I L.A. I guess I knew that, but I, you know, I wasn't alive to witness it like Well, Troy was, okay, yeah. You know, so. <laughs> None Louis, of us were. It was the St. Louis Browns, too. I won't play. They, for some reason, that sounds uh, that that'd be the St. Louis Browns or the Baltimore Orioles. Mm. I'm more interested. I just want to see. I think it's kind of cool. Cincinnati has a chance to win their first ever Super Bowl. Mm, Fran, true. You know, Fran, they've been to one. I know that. But eighty nine, eighty eight, eighty eight. Before I was born. See, oh, again, Troy was around yeah. before I was born. Eighty nine. So you that's could probably tell us. Who Siasen was the quarterback. I graduated high school in eighty nine and started here in school in eighty nine. Thank you very Who called much. Called that game. Do you know? Uh uh, actually, I think that that was Enberg and Merlin Olson on NBC. NBC Al Michaels, again. last game, NBC right? Again. Oh, ESPN's trying to get Al Michaels for Monday Night Football. Well, and Amazon has all kinds of money sitting there wanting him for also, their... It is impressive how good of a broadcaster he still is. With no at 80? Whatsoever. He's almost 80. He's in his 70s, right? Mm-hmm. What's his... Uh, there he goes. That's, his, that's the big line, right? Yes. He was on Howard Stern today, I believe, and Howard was giving him everything he could handle about why is NBC even letting him go without putting a contract on the table. You know what his first job was? Or first full-time announcer job? Oh, I guess maybe bigger one. He was the radio broadcaster of the Cincinnati Reds. Mm-hmm. I and didn't know that. Actually got that after being the, the radio voice for the Hawaii Islanders minor league team. Yeah, Went back the, when there was a AAA franchise on the islands. He was the Reds radio announcer before Marty Brenneman. Mm-hmm. And Marty Brenneman was with the Reds for 30, 40 years. Just a famous radio announcer. He's actually Tom Brenneman's father. <laughs> so, okay, so I got to ask about that Hawaii team. Who were they an affiliate with? Uh, good question. I'd have to dig that up. It, because, I mean, you're talking that was, uh, that would have been the 60s. Yeah, late 60s at that point. But Padres? They... They, yeah. Given how minor league baseball switches teams over the years, anyway, uh, they cycled through quite a few. All right, Dy, I'll let you go now. Uh, we'll see you at Bramlage here in a, in a couple of hours. Eh, more like an hour and a half. Yeah, we'll see. But thanks for Dy for coming in here. Follow him on Twitter at dyoungrivals, kstateonline.com to get all the content of K-State athletics that you can handle. Thanks again, D.Y. We'll talk to you here in a little bit. And uh, we have uh, Pete Hughes, who spoke with the media earlier today, coming up next on The Game. K-State baseball is right around the corner. It's going to be here on February the 18th. That is a week from Friday. We're nine days away from K-State baseball, and I, for one, am pumped. I'm pumped because I just barely missed out on an NCAA tournament berth last year. And uh, the media... Got to speak with the head coach of the Cats earlier today and head coach Pete Hughes as he previewed the season. 
What's interesting is the start of the season. They really beefed up the non-con schedule as they're going to be playing in the 2022 State Farm College Baseball Showdown. Game number one, 3 o'clock a week from Friday against Arizona. They'll take on Michigan the next day, and then they'll finish up with Auburn. That's a tough first three games of the season. But then they play CSU Bakersfield. Fullerton is on the schedule. Loyola Marymount. Nebraska. That's out of the gate. That's a tough schedule. But here from earlier today, as we preview the K-State Baseball 2022 season, here is uh, head coach Pete Hughes, and he started with his opening statement. Getting close to that time of year when college baseball, you know, it's spring training hasn't even begun really, and we're going fast and furious towards our opening day, and we have been so for the last month. Great, great opportunity for us to get better in a couple areas right out of the gate to address a couple of our goals from last year where we need to play better on the road and we need to we need to become a national presence and a team that, that needs to play consistently well at a national level and be considered a national team in the college baseball ranks. So what a great opportunity right out of the gates to go down to Arlington and be a part of a national tournament and get away from the friendly confines of Toynton and learn how to play good on the road. And Now, in saying that, I thought we did play really good in the Big 12 tournament last year, but nonetheless, we, we need to play better on the road. Right out of the gates, we'll figure, we'll figure that out. I'm looking forward to it. A lot of new faces, a lot of new parts to the puzzle, but a talented group coming from a lot of different places. We've added nine kids from the transfer portal, and if you kind of look at the formula of our roster, and year four is a, a pretty good indication on how it program recruits or uh, what is appealing, you know, for as far as the recruiting market, what is appealing towards the recruiting market to, to become a K-State baseball player and what areas are that work for us. And it's definitely been the transfer market, the junior college ranks. And you add some depth and some variety with some quality, quality high school kids. And that's been pretty much the makeup of our recruiting classes. And I think our roster and our lineup will, will speak to that this year, but Love the group of guys I have, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they, they play under the lights and when things really get started. I say under the lights, I think we have a 10 o'clock and a 10.30 game scheduled the weekend, so we are still the not-ready-for-prime-time players. you got to earn that right to play in the 6 o'clock game, and that's just something that we need to get better at and, and be considered uh, looked at differently. But we're, we're very fortunate and, and happy to be a part of this tournament. I think we'll bring a good product down there in Arlington to, st- to start the college baseball season. I'm sure a couple of those new pieces might be jumping in those two open spots on the uh, weekend rotation, but do you have a couple of names that you're thinking about to put in those spots in this first three games of the season? You know, Blake Adams will be a weekend guy for us out of the gates, and he's a transfer from Arkansas. Christian Rubeck, transfer from Oklahoma. He'll factor in for that first weekend. Herman Fajardo, transfer from Arizona, pitched significant innings and in what role I do not know yet in that first weekend. So, you know, Connor McCullough will be a weekend guy for us. I don't know the exact order that rotation is going to go, but Jackson Wentworth, a freshman that we're super high on, had a little setback in his, his buildup as a starting pitcher, probably will not be available that first weekend for us, but will be available for the rest of the year, which bodes well because he's a very talented arm. And when it comes to your defense, your position players are going to look a little bit different as well. But, you know, how big do you think it is to have Dylan Phillips and a guy like Terrence Sperling at first base to have those kind of guys back? Dylan Phillips had an opportunity to play professional baseball and chose to come back to Kansas State for another year of his development, which always sheds a good light on your program. That kids want to come back and they feel like their development is crucial in coming back to Kansas State and our culture. 
and, and good for him for having enough confidence, you know, to put a value on himself and put himself back into the draft year because he believes in his abilities to get the value that he believes he deserves. But great to have him back. Obviously, one of the better hitters in the league. Terry Sperlin, I think, is one of the most underrated guys in our program. The amount of errors he saves at first base with, with errant throws that he makes look routine, you know, it saves us. Every time he picks a throw from one of our infielders, it's, you know, seven to 10 pitches he saves on our pitch counts during a game. Every base hit he steals, you know, defensively, it's, it's seven to 10 pitches that he saves over the course of the year. It's huge. It's, it's huge over the course of the weekend for bullpens. He's just been the steady leading leadership voice in our program the last, you know, four years. But from the defensive standpoint, from his ability to get clutch hits, his toughness, playing hurt all the time. He's super smart. You know, very rarely do you have your first baseman run your whole infield defensively and, and, and all your communications with cuts and relays and carries that guy for us. So those two guys are just cornerstones of our program and the culture that, that we've built here. Did it with those two pieces and to have those guys back into this year with a lot of moving, new moving parts is uh, yeah, Coach, just your thoughts on Nick Goodwin. Very impressive freshman season a year ago. What are you looking for from him uh, his second year in the program? And uh, what are some of the key developments you think to his game uh, that he was able to work on in the offseason? You know, like all freshmen, they're not used to playing that volume of games during the season. So I saw that that take its toll on him near the end and thought he managed it pretty well. I, I look for him to be accustomed to that this year so there's no lulls later on in the season. He went and played in the Cape League this summer, which is great for players' development, highest level of amateur baseball. And he's been around it for quite some time now over the last calendar year. He has improved defensively, made tremendous strides. We're a pretty reliable guy over there. And for me to ask him to play short for us last year as a freshman, that's a pretty big ask. And I thought he did a great job with it, but he really improved defensively over the summertime and over the fall. And he's matured as a hitter, you know, and then Looking forward to have him playing in the middle of our infield, hitting in the middle of our lineup like he did since day one and think a better version this year. How about from a Connor McCulloch standpoint, you've talked about his competitiveness and how steady he is out on the mound. Does his role change a little bit this year without guys like Jordan and everything uh, from a leadership standpoint to kind of uh, to be one of those primary guys that they look to on the weekends? Connor is since day one in the fall is taken over that leadership role in the pitching staff and our whole program. He's a kid who's been around the block. He's seen a couple of different programs. He's made the adjustments. He's had adversity. He's dealt with success. So, and he knows how our program works. So, you know, he's on the front line in that clubhouse as far as holding kids to the Kansas State baseball standard. He's vocal about it. Great leadership quality. And he's just a steady eddy on, on the field Sometimes that steady Eddie role gets a bad rap. It's almost like doesn't always indicate that he has really good stuff. And he does have really good stuff. He's gotten better. His, his velocity's made a jump. He's over 200 pounds for the first time in his career, which, you know, will bring velocity if it's done the right way. And it's also going to bring him some, some strength to be consistent late in the game and, and some strength to be consistent late in the season. So I'm excited about Connor and what he's going to do for us this year, but usually he doesn't go out there and beat himself. You know, he's always going to give us a chance to win a game and uh, to have that coming back in that rotation when you lose, you know, you lost some experience on the mound, but to have Connor come back and be that leader guy and, and to be a, really productive guy in a rotation on the field is, is something that we're grateful for. And we'll, we'll, we'll lean heavy on them. Coach, I'm looking at your schedule. You've got the event in Arlington. Then you go out West with Bakersfield and Loyola. What were your thoughts behind this challenging schedule? And is it time to just kind of push the envelope a little bit with your, your program? 
Well, yeah, it's it's time. We sit around here last June and, and, and complain about not getting in the national tournament. The bottom line is we gave people enough reason to keep us out. Let's go ahead and play a, a real formidable schedule here. Let's go out on the road and then let's not let's not leave it in question it. We want to play with the best at the in, at the end of the year. You got to do it you know, throughout your season. That California trip, we have to be a better road team. We did not play well on the road from a head coaching standpoint. That that's so disappointing because if you look at it from afar, generally the teams that aren't very tough don't play well on the road. That that's just not what Kansas State baseball is. So I can't stand the way that looks because that's not who we are. So I want to change that. You know, I want to get better at. Want to get out of our comfort zone and I want to play the same way as we do here and we do on the West Coast or in Lubbock. We're in Morgantown, we're in Fort Worth. I just want to play the same way. That was the thought process behind that California trip, is to go out there and play seven games on the road and play in different environments and, and play the same way every time. So, yeah, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge to go to Omaha. It's a challenge to, if you're at a program that's never been to Omaha, it's a challenge. Everything's a challenge. So we got to just raise the standard a little bit and the scheduling, the thought process behind that scheduling is I'm trying to raise the standard around. I wanted to go to your left-handed pitchers. You have three on your roster, and it comes after a year. You had Wixie and uh, Eric Torres. They get drafted. Are you in any way concerned about depth when it comes to left-handed pitching? Yeah, you can never have enough left-handed pitching. That, that's for sure. You know, as far as giving people different looks and matching up late in the game, you also have some right-handed pitchers that are very good versus left-handed hitters, which you know, that's kind of the way we're going to go this year with it. Dylan Phillips' role will probably be expanded because of lack of left-handed pitching, and we're finally with that i just Wes Moore is a, is a key component to answering that question of lack of left-handed pitching and, and we, we didn't have Wes all of last year he's he's made a strong recovery from Tommy John surgery and has looked really good here in the preseason so still going to take our time and be super cautious with building him back up but that will certainly help you know and Grant Nicholson's a kid we're, we're bringing along and making strides and getting better to be a serviceable guy out of that bullpen for us to be a matchup guy. It's a concern. You know, Eric Torres was invaluable for us last year and we weren't counting on Eric to sign. We got a very good opportunity and pitched well enough to do that. So I do like a couple of our options out of the bullpen from the right-handed side that match up very good versus left-hand hitters late in the game. To get Wes Moore back would be great in a starting in a starting role. So you can give you can have the flexibility of throwing a left-hander against lineups that don't bode well versus left-handed pitching in our league and just give you a little variety with your rotations on the weekend. And coach, my last question is about Dom Johnson, who you brought in from Oklahoma State, who was a freshman last year. He got a little bit of an opportunity, but his playing opportunity kind of got lesser and lesser, I suppose, as the year went on, but has a ton of potential and you're you're replacing a couple of outfielders. Does he get a an opportunity right away to fill one? of those spots right now he's earned that yeah he was outstanding for us in the fall had a very good summer you know in the Cape Cod League but that transferred into a very productive fall for us and he's been been nothing but a really good player since he stepped on this campus learning every day his potential is still has a huge upside to it yeah he'll be in there he'll be right in the mix day one I don't see much of a learning curve there he's been around the block a little bit he knows the league and that summer down the Cape was huge in his growth Once again, that's K-State baseball coach Pete Hughes previewing the 2022 K-State baseball season. That season will start a week from Friday against Arizona at 3 o'clock. Arlington, Texas at Globe Life Field, the giant barbecue grill in the uh, 2022 State Farm College Baseball Showdown. Michigan and Auburn will be after that. Ten games on the road before they play their first home game on March 8th. 
against the Nebraska Cornhuskers, a 6 o'clock first pitch. I've noticed a lot of 6 o'clock games this week, if they're on Friday or midweek. Hour 2 of the game is up next.